Welcome to Deuteronomy study number 13, chapter 13. We're going to cover all 18 verses, Lord willing, and the church don't rise after we give out a hibbly holla out to Sister Mary Ann. Mary Ann on MeWe. Here's your hibbly holla. And Mary Ann's been listening for a little while, and uh, we appreciate everybody that we come in contact with through the various means. We've uh, gotten to know some people on X formerly known as Twitter. We've gotten to know people on MeWe. We've got friends going way back when we used to be on Facebook before it went communist. We haven't been on there for at least eight years, I think. And uh, we meet people locally and hear from people on the radio. If you're listening to this and you haven't contacted us, do so. Let us know you're out there. And Marianne, thank you for letting us know you're listening and uh, giving the little emojis on our messages we post there on MeWe. God bless you. That's your Hibiliala as we get into our study and open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Thank you for every word and every book, every chapter. This chapter 13 in Deuteronomy carries a lot of uh, special weight, especially in these last days with apostasy and all the false teachers and everything. So I do pray that everyone who listens will take it in and really put it in their memory bank and that uh, we might be able to reach even more people uh, so that we can warn them give you give them the warnings of your word as you have given this book to reach the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this dispensation and to teach those of us who have been born again by faith in that wonderful blessed gospel being saved by our wonderful Savior. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So, the um, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy is one of the most, I would say, often quoted, referenced chapters in the book of Deuteronomy for certain. And uh, really in the whole Bible, as it deals with false teachers, false prophets, false religion, rebellion against God and His Word. And uh, the emphasis here is similar to the words of Jesus. So I want to read to you the words of Jesus and um, then we'll quote the Apostle Paul. And I just want you to keep these words in mind as we start our study here and as we continue our study in Deuteronomy 13. Jesus said this in Matthew 7:15: Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And the words also then preached by the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So keep those words in mind now as we begin with the warning from Moses. Of course, these are all warnings from God, uh, but given to us through Moses. We're just going to begin by reading the first three verses 
In Deuteronomy 13, beginning verse 1, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, verse 2, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Verse 3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. People have come to me over the years, and I've thought of it myself. I wonder why God lets these false teachers like Kenneth Copeland, uh, for example, get away with this for decades. He's amassed, he's heading towards being the first preacher to become a billionaire through the theft of God's money in that so-called ministry. Victory, believers in victory, or something like that. Some co-opted term that he uses for his ministry. And there's your answer. God lets them do their thing and it's a choice he puts before every one of us. We're all going through a test in this life. Will you believe on Jesus Christ? Will you believe God's word or will you choose some other way? And the way of Kenneth Copeland is just one of many, many, many false teachings, false gospels, false cults out there that is just ready to take anyone who wants to reject the simple truth of God's word. Um, ignoring this warning uh, as it was given by Moses to Israel um, cost many souls and continue to cost souls and cause a great deal of deception and suffering right down to this day. This warning is given to Israel, but it stands true for everyone in every age. And some people are under the impression that if someone claiming to be a prophet gets something right, that means they're a true prophet, and it's simply not true. Uh, prophets can get things right. Gene Dixon supposedly got it right predicting the assassination of John F. Kennedy. She got hundreds if not thousands wrong though. <laughs> and she told people that she that Jesus wasn't truly the God in flesh, the only savior of the world. She didn't lead people to Christ. She led them away from Christ. And so uh, we'll see it again in Deuteronomy 18 that if a prophet gets some th uh, of the prophecies right but gets anything wrong he or she is to be rejected. Deuteronomy 18.22 says, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And here our text says that regardless of the accuracy of the prophet, even if they get something right, if he points you away from the true God of the Bible, you are to reject that man or woman. They are a false prophet. Nothing negates the truth of God and his word. As Moses then reiterates here in verse 4, he says, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. And during Mosaic Law, such wicked liars who served Satan in an effort to destroy souls and send those souls to hell, they were to be punished.
publicly executed. Verse 5 says, And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death. Why? Because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Jesus said, I am the way, the way, not a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. And uh, anyone who tries to thrust you out of the way, then under Mosaic law, they were to be executed. Um, now, it seems harsh. Uh, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. You know, it seems harsh in our soft, effeminate uh, culture today. Um, but, you know, I just, I have to say it honestly. <laughs> if you feel that way, then to some degree or other, you are ignorant. Um, you're ignorant of the seriousness of the matter of your soul and every soul and the reality which awaits those who follow these false prophets. It's an everlasting burning lake of fire. Revelation 14, 10 and 11 describes the eternal damnation of those who reject God during the Great Tribulation, saying, quote, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, capital L, referring to Jesus. Continues, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. End quote. Now that is what the false prophet and the false teacher is leading these people to. And that's why it was so serious and that anyone who dared do such a thing was to be publicly executed. And that same eternal damnation awaits all who reject the free offer, or the I put it this way, the offer of free salvation. It's a free offer, but the salvation itself is free. And if they choose to remain in rebellion against God, that is their future. That's why God takes this matter of false prophets and false teachers so seriously. He continues and points to our closest loved ones and relatives even. It's not just the false prophets. So we'll just read this whole section from uh, verses 6 through 11 and realize that your own mother and father, your own children, your closest loved ones are never supposed to be more important than God himself. And uh, so let's read it. Verse 6. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, you're talking the closest person to you in your life, 
continues and says, Entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers. Verse 7, Namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, and far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. This reminds me of these Hollywood stars. Who, they always decide when they're going to get religious, they get some religion that doesn't deal with sin at all, so they can keep sinning. And it's always some far-off, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, you know, whatever. And uh, so there's nothing new under the sun. What these Hollywood fruits and nuts are doing is exactly what's been used by Satan to draw people away from God, and that's why God says it there. We continue verse 8, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. Verse 9, But thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him, to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So, if it was your closest friend and relative, and you, they tried to entice you, or you knew they were trying to entice other people away from God, you were to turn them in, and you would be the first person to cast the stone. Verse 10, And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And then verse 11 says, And all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. It's to be a deterrent. That's why it was a public ex execution. That's what's wrong with capital punishment in our country. It's done behind closed doors in secret, and the criminals don't see it, so they don't fear it. And then a lot of states have outlawed it. So... Um, and by the way, that's why the claim that the Bible is somehow against capital punishment is simply absurd in light of such passages as this and some that are just so clear we've discussed before. But the death penalty before and after the dispensation of Mosaic law was limited because our governments before Moses and since Moses, since Jesus came, and the Mosaic law and the nation of Israel is no longer God's program in this dispensation. So. Um, our governments are not theocratic in any true sense. So Romans 13, 1-4 establishes that in our time, in this dispensation, capital punishment is generally for murderers, killers, other violent criminals. You could call rapists of a certain degree, certainly child rapists and gang rapists and uh, uh, serial rapists and those kind. They are all to be uh, put to death uh, and even if they don't murder somebody, if you cause the death of somebody, you can be executed as well uh, in this dispensation. Romans 13, 1-4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, talking about the government, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. 
for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil." Quote. So false teachers and false prophets are to be rebuked, refuted, exposed, and denounced, but in this dispensation there's no death penalty. Um, and why? Well, as we saw in uh, Deuteronomy 18, we'll see it again, God leaves them out there because it just proves their heart, exposes what's in their heart. I've told people before, you know, sometimes I'm thankful for the crazy charismatic type churches and cults. It's kept the riffraff out of our church when we gather. Um, so that'll all continue in this dispensation. False prophets, false teachers are executed. That'll change after the return of Christ when such penalties will be enforced once again. Uh, Isaiah 66, 24 describes the place where false teachers, false prophets, and other rebels will be during the thousand-year reign under King Jesus. Isaiah 66, 24, it says, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. They shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So uh, you actually be able to go see the people who rebel as they have been killed and cast into a pit, uh, a sort of temporary hell, if you will. Some believe it's the lake of fire. Uh, we're not uh, going to get into that debate right here, but that's just to leave it there. That's what's going to happen. And Zechariah uh, tells us that God will strike whole nations with plague, which results in death, if they rebel against him. King Jesus, refusing to come up to Jerusalem during the millennium to the single feast that will be observed during the millennium, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Zechariah 14, 18, 19 says, And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, they that have no rain, there shall be the plague. In other words, God's going to put a drought, and if they still don't come up, plague. Wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And beyond uh, families and loved ones, Moses warns now about getting involved in regional and cultural rebellion against God. You just think of uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, how it was one city and another city, but they were in rebellion, a whole city. Well, today we have San Francisco and really Chicago, New York, all kinds of cities, Columbus, Ohio. It's like cities have become cesspools of rebellion. And God saw that tendency of human beings, so he said, here's how you deal with it. Uh, beginning verse 12 through 15, If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, verse 13, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Verse 14, Then shalt thou inquire, you do an investigation, and make search, and ask diligently. And behold, if it be truth, if you confirm the accusations, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought among you. Verse 15, Thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. This is what's called raising the black flag. It's total war. 
It's a complete annihilation of that rebellious city. As verse 16 continues and says, And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every whit for the Lord thy God. And it shall be in heap forever. It shall not be built again. Right now Sodom and Gomorrah is under uh, salt and uh, sulfur and uh, tar pits uh, at the Dead Sea, in the region of the Dead Sea. Never been rebuilt again. And that's what he's warning is would happen to those cities who do this uh, under the uh, rule of Mosaic law in this case. Now, um, it's been kind of heavy uh, through as we come down to the last few minutes here. And I just want to say this. None of us should like the idea of death and destruction. But that is the only response um, toward pure evil and wickedness. Uh, God isn't going to force anybody against their will. And it is if it's your will to rebel and, and cling to evil, then that's the choice you made. Um, and if we love God... We will share his a hatred of sin. That's a test is not how often you can say, Oh, I love God. I love Jesus. Okay, fine. The Bible says if that's true, you're going to hate evil. Those who embrace the murder of unborn children, they don't love God. Those who embrace Sodom and Gomorrah, the LGBTQ plus woke cult of our day, they don't love God. I don't care how often they say they love God, they call themselves Christian. They love evil, and you cannot love God and love evil at the same time. Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Romans 12.9, New Testament says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Today, the apostate false teachers, false Christians uh, who embrace abortion and Sodom and uh, the whole wicked mess, they use the word love like nobody's business. They use it more than anybody else, but it's with dissimulation. That just is a big word that means they use it with a false definition. They use it falsely. They don't know what love is. Um, they have a false definition in their mind and their heart even about what the word love is. True love begins with love for God. And loving God is loving what is true, good, and righteous. And if you truly do love God, you will abhor that which is evil. You want nothing to do with this wicked world. And it goes on to say in verse 17 and 18, as we close the chapter, And there shall cleave not of the cursed thing to thine hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger, and show thee mercy, and have compassion on thee, and multiply thee, as he hath sworn unto thy fathers. Verse 18, When thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. When we see what is right, what's printed in clear language in our King James Bible, then that is literally, um, you know, it's black and it's right there in black and white, as they say. 
We love people enough to tell them the truth. So what we see in God's Word, print it plainly on the page. We just believe it and put it into practice. And if that means that someone we love is going in rebellion and going against God's Word, if we truly love God and truly love them, we love them enough to tell them the truth, praying and even pleading with them to repent and believe the Gospel. But there is a point when you begin casting your pearls before swine and that person just makes their stiff-necked rebellion clear and that is when the fire and brimstone comes out and that's when you get nasty boy the way some people might put it but Jude describes this in Jude 21 through 23 keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life and of some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh people say you're a hater yes we do we hate evil we hate even the garment spotted by the flesh but we love you enough to tell you the truth on a personal note I just recently as of the time of this recording lost an aunt I loved her but she totally rejected Jesus Christ she was blatantly anti-Christian up to the very end and I witnessed to her, I prayed for her, I know others in our family did as well. At one point things became pretty hostile, toward me actually, from uh, her and her husband. So I responded with a very direct and basically a final appeal, warning her of hell that awaits her if she persists in rejecting the gospel of Christ. I loved her enough to tell her that, and I love the rest of my family, any of them see this, I love you enough to tell you the truth. That's the way it's supposed to be.